0: In this episode, I am once again joined by Dr. Nida Chenak Buddhist teacher, doctor of Tibetan medicine, and author of Foundations of Rigpa, a guide to the root tantra of Tibetan medicine. Dr. Nida discusses the traditional Tibetan medical system of Rigpa and reveals its core doctrines, such as health as balance, pulse and urine analysis, and how to discover your body's typology. Dr. Nida also delves into the esoteric side of Soarigpa, including Tibetan demonology, the crossovers with Tantra, and the use of magical rituals and spells to treat mental and physical illness. Dr. Nida also discusses the similarities between Soarigpa and ancient Greek medicine, the importance of sleep, the toxicity of emotion, and offers a direct warning to spiritual people around the world.
1: So without further ado, Dr. Nida chenat
0: Dr. Nita Chanetzang, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me again.
0: Well, I'm so delighted to speak to you again, and this time, wow, you have published Foundations of So Rigpa, a guide to the root tantra of Tibetan medicine, through Sky Press books, and this is quite an achievement—six hundred and sixty pages. So, first of all, I'd like to say congratulations. There, there it is. You.
1: Yeah, it's a big book. <laughs>
0: Could you say a little bit about what is this book about? Why have you decided to put it together with the team at Sky Press Books?
1: Yeah, um, well, uh, you know, Swaripa is the traditional name of traditional Tibetan medicine. And so originated from Tibet and then historically spread it to its neighbor countries, you know, to Nepal, Bhutan, Mongolia, North India, and so on, but uh, we can say, compared to TCM, traditional Chinese medicine and Ayurveda, Indian medicine. So Swarigba is very little known in the West, you know, especially, right? So therefore I took as my mission, spreading Swarigba in the West, you know, since uh, almost 25 years. And so we used to call it traditional Tibetan medicine, TTM or Tibetan medicine. And, you know, then different countries, they call different name and Mongolia, it's known as traditional Mongolian medicine In Bhutan known as a uh, Buddhist medicine. In Nepal known as uh, Himalayan medicine, you know, it has so many names. So I thought it's good. We use the original name, soarikpa. you know, so, you know, then we are all in under one umbrella and swarikpa in any way it not belongs to you know one group of people or one nation i would say sorry it's a universal natural medical science and uh, so in order to spread the swarikpa knowledge worldwide it's very important to bring you know it's a foundation right it's the basic understanding and knowledge theory and philosophy you know to general public So, that is the base. That's why I call it the foundation of Saharikpa. You know, if somebody is completely new, you can really see what is the root of this uh, natural medical science.
0: Very interesting indeed. And there have been various introductory books to Saharikpa published in the English language of a slimmer nature, including, in fact, your own guide to health. Tibetan uh, guide to health. This book, however, goes quite a bit further than, than most of those volumes. Could you say something about the special features, if you like, of this particular book?
1: <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> you know, I have been teaching uh, Suaripa more than 25 years, both in the East and the West. And then... <clears throat> So the way in the beginning, you know, I didn't have much experience how to teach, right? So I just was teaching, you know, based on what I know and what Swarikpah is and so on. But then slowly, the more you integrate in the modern society, especially the Western, you know, you're exposed to Western culture and you have to learn that the new culture, the new tradition, you know, different way of thinking, right? so then I see more how the sawarigpa can be a very integrative medical system so therefore I often compare this to ancient Greek medicine you know so there are many elements from sawarigpa and ancient Greek medicine is very similar and so that was a very interesting uh like a point for me because you know we always talk why we are different right why our colors are different why our cultures are different why our traditions are different why our histories are different why our languages are different <clears throat> but i think also it's an important point how similarity you know how similarity our ancient human civilization right is not like one group of people or one nation owns our copyright you know the art or the literature Actually, I, I think it's like all human shared knowledge or science. So therefore, uh, you know, discovering about uh, ancient Egyptian medicine, and then it's become the ancient Greek medicine, and then ancient Roman medicine. So I'm living in Rome. So for me, that's a kind of like an internal knowledge a bridge right and that goes beyond of our external limitations you know the language nationality and so on so when i saw that kind of bridge i thought okay we have to go a little bit deeper right we have to go a little bit deeper actually it's not so hard. but i tried to preserve the tibetan medical science and pr- try to bring it here to to share with uh, uh, westerners right or modern people so the more I integrate, I myself personally, I try to integrate in the modern society. And the more I discover that the knowledge of Swaripa was already rooted here as a different name, you know, as ancient, the Roman medicine or Greek medicine or natural whatever. And then that really give me the insight that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not different. You know, what I'm teaching is not different. What I'm teaching is the ancient the knowledge from Europe too, and so the important is we really try to reconnect how similar they are, right? And then, and not only the similarity between the ancient the medical science and also the modern medical science. You know how many things they are talking about today: the importance of the diet, the importance of the lifestyle, the the importance of the sleep and the quality, right? And the important importance of the environmental issues for our health, and the human connections and socializing. You know, it's that that's the direct connection with our psychological well-being, and all these so many things are already mentioned in Zorika, right? You know, it's already mentioned, and but today it seems like we need to bring that. Uh, the, you know, the, I, I call it the word of God. It's called the science, you know, oh, it says scientifically, you know, you know did a research and being proved and this is right and that is wrong. And now we know the reason this and that. I, I'm okay, I'm good with that. I don't have problem with uh, scientific research. It's good, you know. But so many things, what science says is exactly the same, like in Swaripa already mentioned thousand years ago, right? I'm not also saying, okay, no science, just traditional knowledge. And I'm happy to see the common ground or common understanding, right? uh, Between the ancient medical science or traditional medicine and the the modern medical science. You know, I'm happy there is a common, like a point, like common ground. That's nice too. And, uh, but these things, in a one way, I think we are kind of too driven by what is scientifically says right and wrong, right? And then, you know, that's, I think, a little bit too much. So we need to pay more attention about uh, ancient medic- medical or ancient wisdoms, because those are passed from centuries to centuries, generations to generations. And a- in a way, this is the accumulation of human experiences and human knowledge. Right. It's the real natural science. And uh, but then on the other hand, I think also it's a good scientifically saying, oh, you know, this is, uh, you know, the diet is so essential, which is exactly what all traditional medicine said. Right. Or sleep is uh, so crucial for our both physical and mental health, which is also mentioned by natural medical science. So I think in a way, this is also a good chance that we bring this kind of modern researches, you know, to saying, you see what ancient medical science says, actually, it makes sense. Maybe ancient time, they had a different explanation, but now we have a new kind of scientific language. You know, we have a different translation and we can understand better, right? So what I'm saying is, in the beginning, when I was uh, teaching Swarikpa, it's like a a Tibetan nomad teacher tried to teach Tibetan medicine, Suwarikpa, to a new group of people, right? Westerners, Europeans. And then slowly, slowly, the more myself, you know, integrated in this modern society, and more and more, of course, refined my knowledge and my experiences. And actually, instead of uh, creating a cultural different, cultural shock, there's a, you know, I really found this cultural connection internally. What parts are really different? What parts are really same? But bottom line, we're all the same. We're all humans, (laughs) right? So that's why this kind of thing actually really kind of refined my experience and my knowledge and also give me lots of courage, you know, to talk more about Suaripa. In a in a different level right It's not just say okay Soaripa is Tibetan medicine, it's very ancient and very important, it's very holy and secret. it's not a kind of very superficial introduction about so I really tried to bring the sowarikpa's explanation in a different level right But that different level, it had to be integrative right And also it had to yeah, how do you say? It had to handled or explained in a way that uh, modern people can digest it, can understand it, you know, can handle it, right? So otherwise, I say, oh, this is holy, this is secret. You know, this is what I have, and this is what our tradition, and if you like it, you take it, and otherwise, you know, nothing to do with you, <laughs> not something like that. But maybe in the past, more or less, I was that kind of... Uh, you know, mode, right? That kind of state. But now I really, probably also the aging process, you know, (laughs) the more we, I can say, you know, my 25 years I spent in Tibet and then other 25 years I spent in in the West. So in my one lifetime, I can already feel like I have two lives, right? My past life is in Asia and my second life, this life is in the West, So therefore this uh, book is actually, it's becoming uh, really the experience of my own uh, life too, you know.
0: That's very interesting indeed. I would like to talk about Sir about history and some of its key features in terms of uh, the theory of medicine and theory of wellness and disease and so on. But what you said there has prompted me to ask you, what are some of the cultural connections that you discovered. You said that you discovered inside of yourself certain cultural connections. I'm curious about that. And I'm also curious about the connections and correspondences you found between Rigpa, Tibetan medicine and Greek medicine.
1: Yeah. So, OK, you have a few questions first about the history, right? Well, we can.
0: Yes, we could go back to that. But I'm, what you just said there is very interesting. You said that you have some you found a personal you uh, know yes
1: yes so to, yeah
0: it... yeah to the western culture and also you notice medical correspondences between the two medical systems the sort of two yes
1: yes yeah so you know we humans externally we look different right you know our skin color our hair color the size of the noses whatever you know external appearance is different so therefore i think every Ethnical groups, you know, they present themselves, right? So I see myself as an Asian, you see yourself as a European. And then, you know, I try to present my culture, my tradition, the way how I'm conditioned. And the same way, you know, you present yourself as a, you know, Western guy, right? So this is an external presentation and we can see this external presentation is a condition of the tradition of the culture but then let go one level down under the skin we have the muscles you know we have the blood vessels we have inner organs and organ tissues and this and that right so in that level we are not only talking about uh, different colors or you know different size of our body so we are more in the in the in the physical body level and then The more we go inside, the more we are the same, right? So in a similar way, then we go to more, we dive more in our psychological world, right? And especially when we talk about kleshas or, you know, afflictive emotions, you know, both negative emotions and positive emotions. And and basically we are the same. We all have same human emotions, right? And, uh, but then how do you really understand that emotions, right? Like Asians, they have anger, Westerns have anger. Anger is always the anger. It's a human anger <laughs> and, and how we react to anger, how we talk about anger, how we deal with anger, maybe can be a little bit different because of our cultures and conditions and traditions and so on. But. The human emotions are the same. So therefore, if we have similar human emotions, right? The anger, we have similar human emotions, the desire too. And so if we really go in that level, you know, the mentality, how I'm functioning as an Asian, how you are functioning as a European, and really, really the underneath, I think we all humans are the same. So only the conditions are different, right? So we are conditioned, okay, if you eat food, you can just use your hand, your fingers, you know we are not civilized externally to use knife and forks. <clears throat> and you guys are <clears throat> more okay, civilization means your your presentation, your presentation, you have to use you know like forks and knives and this and that, right? And today we can say, why well, food is tasty using your fingers or why it's a hygiene? you know you use the forks and the knives. Both can have an explanation, right? But those are our our conditions, our culture and tradition. And this cannot refine us. This is only a presentation, external thing, right? But internally, you know, the way how I feel hungry and how you feel is the same. You desire to eat that. I desire to eat this. This desire is the same. So that's why I think the more we dive in human internal world the more we are same so that's why and the psychologically i think in a, in a really really deep down we are the same so physiologically internally we are the same but externally we are different so and then what i'm saying the culture different is uh you know uh, actually cultural is a condition too right these conditions, we grew up in a different condition and we react a different way. But internally, I think there's no much different. You know, this is the reason why the ancient Greek medicine and the are also similar, right? Greek medicine says, we are what we eat. Sohariqpa says exactly the same. We are what we eat. And Greek medicine says, walking is the best medicine. And Sohariqpa says, Walking is the supreme lifestyle, so it's a little bit uh, different expression, but the same meaning, right? And both medicines says uh, herbal medicines are very important, but herbal medicines are coming. You know the herbs are coming as a support for the body. Herbs are not for there something like uh, we have to take forever, right? Our body have to manage itself and fix itself through its energy like humors, right? In the Greek medical medicine, they talk three, four types of humors, the bile, black bile, phlegm, and the blood. So in Swaripa, we talk three types of humor, or sometimes we talk four, you know, including blood, which is very similar. And what we talk humor is the humors are like energy. Today I translate it as energy, right? So why in ancient medical system, the energy is so important, Because energy is the force, you know, bonding the body and the mind. When we say mental health, physical health, some doctor says, okay, I just, I'm dealing with only physical health. I don't care about mental health. And maybe another doctor says, oh, I'm just dealing your mental health. I don't care about physical health, right? So in a very uh, special, in the specialization, you can do like that. But when we say holistic medicine, we cannot divide actually, you know, what, what is body's function and what is mind's function. So there is no separation between body and mind. Why there's no separation between body and mind? Because of the energy. And energy is the, the, the link force which puts completely together, right? So in Tibetan we call Lusim Yermel means you know inseparable body and mind or lunga yisum yermel means inseparable body and speech and mind, it means body and energy and mind. So, and that's why I think when we talk about uh, energy, you know, today, some people, they have, oh, energy is something different than my my emotion, my mind, or uh, the energy is different than my physical body. No, energy is in the body and energy is the power of our mind and emotion we can't separate it right but in the actually in the medical science if you say you know we work on the energy to balance the energy that's the best way to balance because once energy is balanced that can balance the body and balance the mind so that's why the greek medical theory the four humors and soarikpa's three or four humors i think basically is the same and then sorry there's another thing about the uh, historically you know so we we know that soarikpa is uh it's you know originated from himalayan region in tibet and then I like this uh, historical one, historical event. It says in 8th century, the Tibetan king kin, and he invited or he supported that, uh, you know, Tibetan local doctors to invite international doctors. So doctors from China, from Mongolia, India, Nepal, uh, Bhutan, and also uh, from uh, Persia, right? So, and then there are many that these international doctors they gathered in Tibet, and they stayed there over six months, so probably one of the first international medical conference. And so you know, those doctors, they had the translators and they had time to exchange their own knowledges and so on. And uh, I, I think that that was a really amazing event, you know. so. Some historical text says that was the base of really forming Swarigpa as a very solid medical system. And my personally, I think that that makes sense, you know, so like ancient Greek medicine traveled from Greece to the Middle East, then to India or to the, you know, East or the ancient, Roman medicine also traveled, you know, back to not back, you know, travel from the West to the East. Right. Both, you know, historically we know the Greek uh, army and Roman armies. They reached the Middle East and then tore to the, you know, Asia. And then I'm sure there there was a very powerful cultural exchange too. You know, it's not only the the business that the trading, the Silk Road, and the Silk Road was very important for the medical development or medical knowledge exchange and art and mathematics, you know, all the things, right? So therefore, I think uh, probably the development of Swaripa was also connected with the Silk Road business, right? Silk Road business. So in a way, this kind of uh, uh, event, what I mentioned, you know, the, the International Medical Conference in Tibet, which is last six months, And then every doctors, they taught their own traditions and then Tibetan, it's called the nine scholars of Tibetan doctors and they are coming together and they try to write a system of and so on. So I personally, I like that. uh, How do you say? I like that, uh, that history, you know, because uh, that history really tell us what integrative medicine is. Right. Mm -hmm. So, The the reason why I'm saying Swaripa is a universal medicine, because Swaripa is basically talking about our human health. And uh, it is an integrative because uh, it can be integrated in any kind of, uh, how do you say, a society, right? Different ethnic groups or whatever. Is not like we're imposing, like if you learn the Swaripa, you have to become like this and that, and you must have that belief or this belief, right? So Swaripa says, if you have the knowledge, nothing is not a medicine in this planet, right? If we know how to use any kind of herbs and plants, it can be used as a medicine. So if we don't know how to use, everything can become a poison too. And then, uh, historically, the, in the twelfth century, you know, the Yuto, we call it uh, the father of Tibetan medicine. I think in his time, he really made it a uh, kind of it very, very systematic. You know, it 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 made it very sy- systematic, and um, he presented the, the soarikpa in a very kind of logic way, in a very scientific way, and. Uh, you know, for example, he. That's why the the book he wrote is called the Four Tantras, right? Four Tantras. There is, you know, Tantra one, two, three, four, and then uh, many people are saying, "Oh, well, it's a medical science. Why you call it a Tantra?" And you know, it took a long time for me to understand why a medical book is called a uh, Tantra, right? And uh, so for example, in my book, it says, uh, so the foundation of Saripa, a guide to root tantra of Tibetan medicine, <laughs> root tantra. So many people, they ask me, why a medical book is called the tantra, right? But originally tantra was a medical terminology, originally ancient time, because the tan means the body, tra means protect, protect your body from disease, disorders or imbalances, right? The similar way mantra means protect your mind from pain and suffering, right? So mantra is almost like a psychotherapy and tantra is like a physiotherapy, like a body therapy, right? So in this case, tantra means uh, body protection. What does it mean? How to protect the body? It means a medical science, right? We need to learn you know, the nature of our body, the function of our body, and the balance of our body. And also, we need to know how our body can get sick. And then we need to learn how to, you know, how to cure it, how to treat it. And all this uh, study process, it's called the Tantra, right? It's it's a very like a complete uh, complete and systematic study. So in the Yuta, when he said the uh, four Tantras, i like this uh, his uh, uh, structure first one is called the root tantra right the root tantra means the foundation or the introduction so that's why my this book is based on the introduction or the foundation of soaripa right so it has only six chapters and the six chapters now become 600 pages <laughs> so You know, in the traditional way, when there is an expression and uh, the, I think the, the explanations are kind of very simple and very direct, but today we need to, you know, unwind them, you know, untie them to, to explain a little bit more clearly, right. More clearly. So that's why we need to put lots of explanations and more commentaries and in a little bit different way of explaining these things right so that's why first one is the introduction to saripa and then the second one it's a very uh, <clears throat> based the all the basic studies of uh, medicine embryology physiology anatomy and pathology and diagnosis treatment and so on but in order to give a very clear picture of the The foundation of soaripa you know i had to quote many things also from the second tantra right because that that like gives more detailed explanations and so that's why uh, as i said if i present soaripa as a first layer is the root tantra the foundation but if we need to bring it in a different level right different level of higher or more deeper and then we have to bring the second Tantra. So therefore this book is actually kind of a combination of the first Tantra and second Tantra. And then the third Tantra is very kind of professional for medical practitioners, right? You know, all different kinds of pathologies. And then the last one is a very clinical and very practical part, you know, as a therapist or as a doctor, what you actually uh, do or deal with your patient when the patient comes to your clinic. So that's the four tantra. And so the reason I mentioned Four Tantra, because the Four Tantra is becoming the most important text book for Sawarikpa. Still today, you know, in the medical uh, colleges and universities in, in everywhere, you know, we learn that the basis we always learn from the four tantras, right? Four tantras, and that's the foundation. You know, I think there that is a kind of um, Some people, they are saying, oh, you know, this book is very old. It has 800 years of history. Why you guys are still learning it, right? So I think one reason is, because then at least we don't get lost on the track of what Suarik is, right? We stay in the what Suarik is. I think that is important too, you know? Uh, Authentic tradition comes, and we know what is our root, right? We know what is our base, but then Soaripa does not limit to say, okay, this is Soaripa and that is not Swarigpa. As I said, Soaripa says, for example, in the West, maybe there are some plants and some medicinal herbs. We don't use much in, in Himalaya and Tibet. But if we know how to use and what they are doing, it, you know, what are their functions and so on, like we can use it here too, right? Like a Rosemary. And Mediterranean diet is so common and so popular, you know, you know, rosemary oil, you put in the food and so many different ways to use it. But then how about in Saurabh? But we talk about that, right? It's even with maybe it mentioned in some old texts, but it's not, you know, talks like in the, in the Mediterranean uh, culture, right? But then we know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it's a digestive and we know it's a function. So we can integrate in that in the Swarigpa. We don't need to reject it to saying, oh, this is not from Tibet or this is not from Swarikpa. Do you understand? So that's why I think it's important. We have our foundation, but this foundation, you know, need to have this openness and you are ready to embrace the new studies and the new culture and a new way of thinking, you know, without having difficulties or conflict.
0: Very interesting indeed. And I understand that one of the appendixes of this new publication is a fresh translation of that Root Tantra in its entirety.
1: Uh, Yes, and I I should uh, thank actually our team of the, uh, you know, the people who helped and supported me sincerely to finish this book. And uh, then you know the translation. I think also it's very important. And so I asked uh, Ben Joffe, who is a great uh, translator, to retranslate everything. So I give some basic my ideas about some words and things. It's not we are saying our translation is the best. Okay, I think uh, you know the. When we talk about translation, you know, translation is very essential because uh, actually translation is the transmission, right? And uh, if we translate the wrong words and it means it transmits the wrong meanings. And so this is the reason, you know, sometimes I say maybe some Sanskrit words or Tibetan words, we just keep in that original language. And then we give different... uh, possibilities of the words translated words you know then you can choose in the way the way how you want to understand right so that's why you know that's not only for the dharma or for buddhism also the medical i think it's it's it is important we keep some original words right like uh, the word of buddha how you want to translate that buddha can have many different meanings and versions this and that And then some people say, okay, Buddha means this, and there's a fixation, and to seeing any other translations is not accepting and rejecting, right? So maybe you literally understand the meaning of the Buddha, but you're not understanding what reality of Buddha. Buddha, maybe it means just to wake up, you know, different people have different translations, don't get to fix it too much, and this and that so that's why we tried and be, as i said ben is a great translator and we try to uh you know be careful how we translate some very specific words it's like easy to understand more direct meaning and also easy to digest right you know some of this uh are, you know as i said uh, fourth tantra is coming from 800 years ago it's a different time different location and different mentality right and different culture so some of the way to how to express in that time maybe it doesn't exactly fit in our time so that's why we try to you know the translation part we try to make it more like integrative or more digestible let let put that way and then yeah we also the um, putting the how do you say when we uh start to to make the book you know the the this book and uh, I actually taught the Suarikba foundation class so Suarikba Institute we are offering the teachings on uh, Suarikba class and I did this uh, teaching the foundation class for maybe twice and then while I was teaching also based on some people's, uh, you know, the students uh, question and answering. So we really had to accumulate lots of, uh, how do you say, experiences and ideas and putting together, you know. So that's why, yeah, I, I want to thank everybody who are involved in the, you know, creating this uh, this uh, book. And, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, my idea and i wrote and finished a book you know we have editors we have supporters and designers and so many people are involved in this (laughs) using this chance i want to thank all of them
0: (laughs) yes and it's perhaps worth emphasizing that the sir Rigby institute that you founded uh, with others has offers various courses based in this material one year foundation course two year course for those who want an orientation for them themselves their own health four year practitioner courses counselor courses massage or bodywork courses lots of um, very in-depth training springing from these four tantras but integrating other influences too for example the counseling course is taught with uh, Dr Caroline van Dam Belgian psychiatrist who's been a frequent guest on this podcast
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's very exciting i think what's happening at the Seruque Institute these last Few years and going forward too.
1: Yeah, thank you.
0: Well, let's talk a bit about the sorigpa model. Uh, you write here in the introduction: at its core, sorigpa is about balance and interconnectivity. Tibetan medicine teaches that our natural underlying state is a state of health. Staying healthy in sorigpa means keeping our body, energy and mind in dynamic yet stable equilibrium. By contrast, disease is what happens when we become imbalanced, when our healthy equilibrium is compromised or disrupted. I wonder if you might say something about the fundamental, what you refer to here as the core of the Soharigpa medical model.
1: Well, the core of Soharigpa, um, Soharigpa is, I would say, the balance. Okay, what are you drinking now, tea or coffee? Tea. All right, so let's take that example. Is tea good for health or not, right? Then, then you say, oh, it's, it's, it depends, it's a green tea or black tea. And then the green tea, also it's, it depends where it's coming from, right? Whether it's from Japan or China, you know, different, uh, or Indonesia or black tea. Okay, where it's coming from? Oh, mostly from India, Darjeeling tea, whatever. So then maybe some researchers say that green tea is detox and so good this and that, and black tea is this and that, right? So I think, you know, many cases, uh, can I tell you a joke? if the researchers are well paid they can always find a way to say something is good for us okay this is the reason i say we should not stick too much what scientifically says right and wrong <laughs> it's the, it, it's it's um unfortunately it's decided by the money power right so what really sarip says i love this uh, part is Of course you should know where your tea is coming from, right? Hopefully it's organic. It doesn't matter where it's coming from. Hopefully it's organic. That's number one important. Or even not that organic, hopefully they did not use too much chemicals to grow your tea leaves, right? So that's number one. Hopefully there was a balance, not 100% organic, not also 100% chemical used, kind of a balanced way And then it come to you and then the you drink, how much tea you drink, right? Over-drinking, excessively drinking, you know, especially if you drink in the wrong time, maybe it will affect you, you know, tea has coffee in, you know, it's kind of psychoactive drug, very light drug, and it's nice too. But if you drink the wrong time in the evening or afternoon and so on, it influences your sleep right it causes insomnia you know light sleep and the next day you are tired and so on so what is the then the what is the balance right what is the balance so actually to really understand that balance we really need a very precise wisdom or intelligence right so firstly you say okay what is the nature of my body what is my typology Right, My type is more water type, earth type, wind type, fire type. What is my typology? And then what tea I'm drinking, the black one or the green one? And when is the best time I can drink? And when is the worst time I drink? And how much should I drink, right? Those are all, you know, if we use the wisdom and intelligence, we don't say don't drink tea at all or the tea is the best and you can drink all the time so you see there's everything is a question of balance right everything is a question of balance and that is the i think the core of the and we cannot be you know when we say it's all about the balance again we cannot say you know the perfection right 100 percent you know have to be perfect you know what you eat, you can eat this this amount of food. You know how many grams of the the protein per day, and this and that kind of something really precise and measured. You know this and how much exercises you have to do, how much steps you have to do, how much cups you do. We should not live with rules, right? We should not live with rules, but we should live with our intelligence and wisdom, and to knowing. nature of our own body and our interaction to our life and uh, you know our relationship with our food and drinks whatever we are you know we are connected right so that's why i think what that you know that's why the sort idea can be a very integrative right so about the tea i'm sure you know which tea is best for you, how much energy it can give to you and what time is best for you and this and that, right? Maybe when you are younger, you liked the tea, you didn't think much about these things, but now you are also kind of aging and becoming wiser and more experiences, right? So then of course you read the article about the tea, about the science and this and that. You say, oh yeah, yeah, this is a scientific paper. Maybe they done this, you know, this kind of research, people like this and that. Well, you can say it's a little bit different for me because we are all individuals, right? You know everything by experience. So that's why I think Swaripa really, I like this. It's everything is a question of balance, a right? question of balance. And when we talk about sleep, you know, the most common, our slogan is eight hours of sleep. And then some people says, no, no, we need more than eight hours. And some scientists says, no, we need less than eight hours. Even seven is enough. Why seven is perfect? We cannot say it's like that for all humans, right? We are all individuals, all different people, and we all have different uh, typology. So we have different needs. But if we really pay attention, if we have the awareness or we are mindful, We know that which ones are good for us and we know which ones are bad for us. And then the key point is to find the balance between these two.
0: Thank you. And One of the fascinating things about Tsurigpa, I think is its its diagnostic system. How is it that you can detect that you're out of balance? Okay, there are some obvious signs too, but Tsurigpa has various means of diagnosis uh, which are also quite subtle and can even detect imbalances before they ripen into various different disorders. I wonder if you might say a little bit about how it is in Sauripa that disorder is detected.
1: Yeah, so the, the diagnostic um, method, are there are mainly three. First one, we call it uh, observation, you know, ob- observation of the the human body and then the sense organs and is not sense organs, just checking the sense organs, you know. Actually our body is perfectly designed, what we call, you know, we don't see the internal organs but internal organs are wired up with external organs, right, sense organs. So therefore through the eyes, we can analyze about the liver. Through the ears, we can analyze about the kidneys. And through the tongue, we an, analyze the heart. Through the nostril or the nose, we analyze the lungs, right? So this is the observation part. And then observation part, we have the urine analysis. Actually, we talked about the similarity between Greek medicine and the Tibetan medicine. So urine analysis and both medical tradition is super important, you know, right? We know urine analysis even in the modern medical science, is very important, very important um, part of the diagnosis, right? And ancient uh, Greek medicine, they focus that so much urine analysis and so require exactly the same thing. And actually also we can find this urine analysis in ancient uh, Egyptian medical tradition, which is like 5,000 years ago, you know right? So, and then when we say the urine analyzers, the analyzers of also the feces, it's not always we have to use the machines and technology. We can you know, use them in a natural way too, right? To see the color of the urine and the concentration of the sediments and also the smell of urine. So just in a natural observation of urine, we can get so many information from there, right? And so, observation of sensorial organs observation of urine and observation of this person's the the you know expressions the facial the skin the hair you know so that's the first part and second part is called the the pulse reading and pulse reading is you know we have the physical check to see how heart is doing and then the you know that's the physical you know the number of the uh, the, the pulse how many bits actually this is uh, kind of the almost the asian art of the diagnosis right like traditional chinese medicine they do it and ayurveda they do it and swaripa we do it you know everybody checks pulse and the uh, first part is just the checking the condition of the heart you know is it irregular or it's more balanced and you know we check all the things and then underneath that we check the energies right The energies is more like the the pulse beating is more like kind of windy or more like a fire sharp and burning or like kind of steady and hard like the earth or like the water, you know. So different way we analyze that more like a, a kind of energy level. But then also underneath that, there is a kind of psychological level, you know. So I like this part because I always say, Our body has its own intelligence, right? Body's intelligence. So that's why in the Vajrayana, we call it Vajra body. And uh, then maybe our inner organs are suffering. Maybe our uh, gut system is suffering, or maybe our liver is overloaded with uh, sugar or alcohol toxins, whatever. And in a way, the body's intelligence is not like body is giving a signal, oh, I have a pain or something wrong there, right? That is a, you know, that is showing the sign signal too. But before that, our organs are communicating, right? So communicating through our body. And one, what is the, the, this communication part is the pulse reading, do you understand? So therefore, if you are really good Swarikpa doctor, actually, if you check the, you know, we use different fingers and different locations, check the pulse, you are checking the physical pulse beats and so on. That's the first level. You are checking the energy waves, you know, right? right? The energy is more wind or more fire, water, earth, whatever energy. And then also we are listening to the, talks of the inner organs, what this person's liver is talking about. Or we try to find that signal that liver is struggling, handling with the sugar or struggling, handling with the toxins, right? With, uh, I don't know, whatever. Uh, liver is struggling, handling, dealing with the alcohol toxins, right? Like if somebody drinks too much alcohol, and the next day we see in the urine right urine is more kind of like muddy more um you know like the color is more kind of uh darker darker yellow darker red and this and that right because why after having you know excessive alcohol drinks your urine is very bad because the toxins enters in the liver and then enters in other organs and then to the brain and then detoxed by the kidneys, right? So those poor organs, they go through detox process and they suffer. And then later they remove all toxins. And then it's like we see the garbage. Okay. Garbage. There's so much garbage. What's wrong? It means something wrong in the house, right? The house is the one they are producing lots of garbage. So all garbage are dumped in garbage bin. And that's why now we externally see lots of garbage, right? So that's why urine actually shows directly how much our kidneys are suffering, you know, how much toxins we have in our blood, in our lymph system, whatever. And then the pulse is more subtler, right? Pulse is more subtler, but because of our body intelligence, our is always try to speak out, to try to express. Liver is always try to express what's wrong with itself. So, and the heart is try to express what's wrong with the heart, right? That's why sometimes we feel pain. That's why we feel kind of a heaviness. That's why sometimes we have like the tightness in the chest and this and that. So it's not the organs are not expressing their difficulties and they are in trouble and they are losing the balance. But problem is our ignorance. We are not mindful, right? We have no awareness. We ignore those vital organs. We ignore them. We don't know them. And so I think this is, uh, in a way, you know, the Western psychology, they talk about self-destructive mode, right? I think with ignorance, all humans, we are always in this self-destructive mode, right? You know, whatever you eat or you drink, do you think this is something, you know, joyful for the liver or your digestion system or something harmful? Normally we don't think. We say, okay, I just want to eat because it's the sugar, because it's a sweet, because it's tasty, because I enjoy it, because I love it, right? But is it a love? No, it's not love. It's a very simple addiction. And are you treating yourself very well? No. You are treating yourself very badly, with bad food, (laughs) with uh, bad drinks, and with uh, poisons. You're poisoning yourself and you think I'm it. It's a kind of, uh, how do you say, (laughs) like a delusional state, right? It's a delusional state. You're constant of this delusional state. So this is the reason, actually, when we do the, you know, Suaripa diagnosis, right? The pulse reading, sometimes I tell, patient you say i think your lungs are kind of suffering and then they say you are checking my pulse how do you know my lungs are suffering i say well i feel in your pulse but i i hear the way you are breathing too you know the way of your breathing is not okay it's not normal and the the, how you sound your breathing it's not okay because your, your lungs are suffering right your bronchi is suffering." So you you see, even you just go for a walk after I don't know like, ten or twenty minutes of walk or jog, you start to panting. So what does it mean, right? Do you blame to your age? Do you blame to oh you know like the weather is bad or this and that, right? Uh, actually, it's a body's communication. Our lungs are saying we are suffering. You know, don't 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 do over sitting. It's harmful. You know. And also don't give me too much stress. You know, you just not doing exercise for one month and suddenly you go for a long walk, but to try to find a balance. So that's why actually the pulse reading, it's a very beautiful kind of very subtle communication from the internal world, you know, the internal invisible world to, you know, to the visible world to the touchable, you know, the tangible world. And so that's why, of course, the doctor should be an experienced doctor and uh, also let the patient and rest and calm, and then you can kind of, uh, you know, receive the information, complaints about inner organs, right? (laughs) It sounds a little bit psychological way of talking, but I think this is the way how, you know, when, when we say body is struggling and they are talking to us, that's true, right? Our inner organs, they have their own languages and their languages are mostly like the signals, right? The severe signals are pain, right? You know, the pain, why there's a pain? And body is saying like kidney stone pain is a sharp pain. Why there's a pain? And kidney is saying, I have stone, I'm suffering here, the signaling. Right? That's That's a kind of very severe level. But before we reach that severe level and there are kind of really like a subtle and extreme subtle level of uh, body always expressing, right? Very similar way, you know some people say, oh, you know, I'm always kind of happy and nice, you know, my life is cool, everything's good. So then I ask, well, how about your dreams? You know, are you happy in your dream? And, oh no, in my dream, I have some difficulties. I said, well, maybe your conscious level, you think you're happy, that's fine. But unconscious level, you have so many stuffs, And that's why in the dream, you are not happy. That's why in the dream, you are stressful. Maybe the problem is you just don't know yourself how to reconnect with your unconscious level, right? So while we are dreaming, you know, everything what we have in unconscious level, everything, you know, stored in unconscious level is manifested. And sometimes they are even bizarre, too strange for us. That's why we say, Oh, I had a strange dream. Oh I, I always say, Well, if you think you have a strange, you have strange dreams, it means you are a stranger for yourself. That's the truth. Then people don't understand. No, 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 I'm not strange. I know myself this and that, right? <laughs> Denial, faith. So, similar way, similar way, what, uh, what we experience in our conscious level, it's what we think, what is right and wrong now. We are happy or not happy now. But what we experience while we are meditating or while we are sleeping in the dream, I think that's the the things what we have in our subconsciousness, right? Similar way, I'm feeling great, everything's okay. And that's your physical conscious level. But physical subconscious level, the organs are not okay, right? Like fatty liver, for example, fatty liver. So many people, they have fatty liver. You don't see the fat in the liver, and there's no much symptoms for that. Nobody knows. But maybe in the pulse, we can detect that. Liver is struggling. Liver is telling us, sending the energy, the waves, to saying, oh, you know, I'm too heavy. I'm storing too much sugar, and I'm covered by the fat, and maybe I'm going to collapse this and that, right? If you imagine that our every organ, they become like a different uh, person or humans, or if I imagine myself becoming liver, right, then then I'll realize, like how I'm poisoning my own liver by soft drinks, alcohol, or fast food and sugar food and so on, right. So that's why I think the pulse reading has a really, you know, different. Uh, it's a deep meaning and but different layers to understand that part, right. And then the third diagnostic method is the conversation. And I think the conversation part also very important. So end of the day, when we talk to a patient, right? Who knows about that patient is themselves. So therefore, it's important we ask the right questions and listen to them, you know, what they are talking about their complaints, about their problems. And also some, it's not like all patients, they know about themselves and they are just telling us what they have. And sometimes patients, they're lying, right? They lie about their health, they lie about their symptoms. So for different reasons. And some of them, they know they are lying and some of them, they even don't know they are lying about their health and this and that, right? So. You know, patient come to you, and you know, we humans we care about reputations, we care about self-image, self-presentation, and that's why people don't say, Oh, no, I'm I drink alcohol every day or I this and that. I say, Oh yeah, yeah, I try my best, you know, I know alcohol is bad, you know, I know smoke is bad and this and that. You know, try to balance this way. And then I think these parts are. When, when we communicate with a patient, I'm not saying we should not uh, trust uh, what patient is saying, okay? Communication between doctor and the patient is very important, right? And then we should not believe everything what patient is saying because patient might confused about their health, about their lifestyle, about this and that a patient always have this uh, kind of way to present themselves in a better way I can understand that right so that's why um when you really communicate with a patient you really need to be kind of um uh how do you say um you should be a very good uh, detective right you should be good, uh, kind of very detective. You ask smart questions and you see the answers. And also, of course, don't judge the patient, but then you see in a way, what are their emotional difficulties, right? And so this part, and then how like our emotions are dictating, you know, our mentality and how it's controlling, you know, the way of thinking and how it's changing the way of communication, you know, all these things, then the Buddhist view is very important, right? Buddhist view, you know? So that's why Swaripa has a very direct and very direct uh, link with the Buddhist philosophy, Buddhist theory, as you said about interdependent, you know, interconnectivity, and also about the causality, right? Every disease has a condition, and those maybe few conditions, those conditions based on the different causes. So we call it primary cause and secondary causes or conditions, and then creates a problem or imbalances, right? So that's why, you know, medical science, yes, we, uh, it's important we know what you are eating what you are doing, that's important, right? But then also, it's important to know why you are doing that, right? Why you're always sitting, why you're not moving enough. Is that a laziness? Or is that a, a procrastination, right? Or is that like a depression? Do you understand? You're not moving. so. Why you are not moving? We try to understand that better, right? Or you are keep eating the same stuff and you know it's not healthy, but you are doing it again and again. So why you do it again? How you started it, right? Or you have a kind of a bad habit. You know, what are the bad habits? And this bad habit, you know, the bad habit, maybe somebody has a poor circulation and that poor circulation is connected with over And over is not just normal sitting. You are sitting in a high chair, you know, so your legs are down and there's no circulation going up. And you do this, you know, maybe because of you're working on a computer and this and that, you do this, right? So that's a kind of a habit. Oh, because of my work, I have to sit this way. Oh, because I was just sitting on the high chair, I get used to it. They have so many reasons, right? So if we try to understand why do have this kind of uh, habits, fixed habits, and why these habits are becoming the original cause of the both mental and the physical problems, and then we need to address these things too, right? It's not, okay, you have a circulation problem, I just give you a herbs for better circulation. That's not enough. There is a condition for that, you have to change that condition. And then you think, okay, I cannot change that condition, something in your mind. So what is that? Because of my work, this and that, You because you have many excuses. So those are coming from confusion. But then at the end, do you want to choose a healthy legs? Do you want to choose a healthy legs, right? You know, healthy legs, You can do sport, you can do movements, you can travel, this and that, or you want to be a successful person in your work on the computer. So what is your goal? You know, your business is good, everything is very good, and this and that, you make lots of money. So why you do so much of that? Oh, I want to go travel. Okay, you make lots of money now. Then one day you are ready for travel, your legs are not working. (laughs) <laughs> which one you have to choose, right? So this kind of thing, it's just a just a very simple kind of stupid example, but I think many things are like that, you know? Because what uh, Buddhism says, the fundamental problem is ignorance. And uh, the ignorance, what we call in Buddhism, I translate as a confusion. Why we have lots of health problems because we are confused. That's the problem. Fundamentally, we are confused. And that confusion becoming the root cause of all kinds of health issues, both for physical and mental. So that part, how we can detect the patient confusion through the conversation, right? So, therefore, I think the three of them, the palpation, you know, diagnosis through palpation, observation, and communication. Those three are very important.
0: Thank you very much. Another core aspect of Saurigpa that I think is so important and fascinating is this idea of the three nyepas. Mm -hmm. quote from the introduction to your book, The three humoral energies of Lung, Tripa and Bekin are fundamental dynamic principles through which health, pathology, diagnosis, treatment and various environmental, seasonal and cosmic processes are understood. They are at the heart of Saurigpa's distinctive understanding of the world and inform almost every aspect of its approach to health and wellness. They also serve as a bridge between Tibetan medical and Buddhist teachings. So I'm very curious about that. If you could say something about these three Nyepas, why they are so fundamental to so all these different areas that were listed in that quote, and also, in what way do they show a connection between the medical system of Saurigpa so and Tibetan Buddhist and indeed Tantric teachings?
1: Um, so your first question, the connection with Tantric teachings, uh, Buddhist Tantra and the so rigpa actually you know when we say the emotional uh, poisons or toxins you know it talks uh, first is the ignorance and then anger and then desire right three kind of uh, chief or the top like emotions one is the ignorance and one is the desire and one is the anger and uh I think this kind of Buddhist expression, it's a very, very powerful theory, right? When we talk about poison and toxins, we know that poisons and toxins are harmful and uh, we want to avoid it if it's possible. We want to run away, it's possible, right? Or if something is dangerous, we have to be careful. So actually Buddha expressed we have emotional toxins. And this is something about us, you know? There's no much escape. We can't escape from ourselves. And, you know, the best way is the be smart and uh, finding a way how to deal with those things, right? Toxic ignorance or confusion, a toxic desire or toxic attachment, or toxic anger or hatred okay so we all times we translate that poison but today i'm using more toxic i think it makes more sense you know we it it's a direct for us right we understand oh something toxic right oh this is a toxic drink do you want to drink no i don't want to <laughs> toxicate myself right and uh, and the beautiful thing with uh, toxic emotions are direct uh, origin of our toxic energy okay so yeah now i said toxic energy probably people don't like that you know because when with energy is kind of something nice and you know energy flow i feel the energy this right So it's actually, it's very simple. If mind can be toxic and mind's part of mind's expression is becoming the energy and that can be toxic too. And if the energy is toxic and that toxic energy can manifest in the body too, right? So that can become toxic for the body So in this case, let's say, what a toxic attachment or desire doing in our body, it makes increase our lung energy, right? Desire, it means wanting and wanting, attached and cleaning and cleaning, right? So the more toxic, desire or toxic attachment we have the more toxic wind energy is produced and then the more toxic wind energy is produced so it gives you a feeling that you want it more and more right so we in tibetan there's a word is called uh, sepa sepa means actually cleaning to it you want it again and again, right? And that uh, Selpa is coming because of rekpa, because of touch, okay, because of touch. So why we are addicted to fast food? Because we have attached, you know, we are attached to the, we tasted the fast food. We did it again and again and again. And now it's becoming a craving, right? And this craving makes us eat it again and again, but that craving makes this toxic wind energy, you know, it's kind of balanced a little bit. And then you take it again. If you don't have it, you are maybe trembling. You are, you feel kind of stressed. Oh, there's no sugar, there's no energy. Oh, I feel, oh, maybe I have brain fog. Maybe I'm this and that, right? So you take it again and then it's happy, right? So it's like the mental toxin is coming in the energy toxin. An energy toxin giving a toxic reaction for the body. So that means three mental toxins, ignorance, attachment, anger. Three nyepas, actually nyepa, you know, it's the same, the Sanskrit, uh, Ayurveda it's called the doshas nyepa or dosha means a fault fault okay and that fault we can translate as a toxic too because of those energies we get sick we lose our balances, balances we get disorder right so then three mental toxins are the origins of three toxic energies goes together like this right toxic energies so once three toxic emotions are connected three toxic energies and then who will become the next victim the body body get inflamed or body get metabolic problems right or body can lose the balance So that's why I actually, um, the really interesting part, as I said already, you know, when we really, when we say holistic medicine or holistic therapy, right, or holistic view, we cannot separate the mind and energy and body. Three of them go together. In order to help the body, we need to help the mind too. In order to help the mind, we need to help the body too. So this uh, humoral energy in Tibetan, we call Nyepa, Lung-Tipa-Pekin, and we call Nyepa, and that's a translation from Dosha. The word of Dosha, Nyepa, means a fault, right? Why I have a, why I have a tension headache, that is the fault of Lung. Lung brings more tension. Why I have tension, because I have too much desire. Desire to finish 100 different things in one hour. It's impossible. Desire, desire, that desire doesn't match with the physical reality, right? And that that brings too much tension. And that tension causes a headache. So why I have a headache, it's a tension headache, right? And tension, headache is whose fault? Who created that? Lung energy is created that. Okay, I can say lung is the fault. It's energy is the fault. That's why I have a headache. But then you ask one more question, right? Why this energy, instead of giving me a calm and nice head, giving me a headache? And then you go back. Toxic desire. Do you understand? So that's why in the Buddhism it says toxic emotions and the medicine says, energies are the main faults of our imbalances or our disorders, do you understand? So those of them, they are saying there's something wrong with our energy, something wrong with our mind. And now the Buddhism and the Soric, but together actually these two things, what we, are, what we are complaining about our mind and energy goes together, right? And then plus the medical system in a very extensive way explained how these disorders, imbalances are manifesting in our body. Right? Different part of our body in different organs and so on.
0: Thank you very much. You're talking there about this link between the Rigpa model and Buddhist teachings. There are also links with uh, tantric and other esoteric teachings associated in particular with the Nagpa. To quote from your book, your introduction to book, you write, historically, many hereditary amchi." that uh, doctors were also nagpa non-celibate non-monastic tantric yogis and ritual specialists not all nagpa become fully trained amchi but all nagpa know at least something about materia medica and medicine given their role as village level ritual healers and propitiators of spirits many hereditary lineage doctors have studied sowa concurrently with tantric yoga mantra healing dzogchen alchemy divination, and shamanic practices. Both Utok the elder and Utok you the younger were married, householder Nagpa, with children. So could you say something about that? That's another aspect of Rigpa, the Nagpa side. You talk about two approaches to Rigpa education, for example. One is the kimgyu, the hereditary or family lineage transmission, the other being the lopgyu, the student or school lineage transmission. So here, I was reading there from something you were saying about the kimgyu, the, the family lineage. Yeah. So you say something about that, the esoteric side of serigpa? For example, one of its causes of disease in serigpa, yes, diet, lifestyle, seasonal factors, and so on, but also done provocation. Uh, s- interactions with spirits and so on, which can cause various psychological and physical disorders. And similarly, there are healing methods that uh, are more in that department. So I wonder if you might say something about that more esoteric side of rikpa
1: Well, yeah, in Tibetan culture, um, everybody knows, you know, the, in the Buddhist world, there's the monastic group and lay people's groups. So lay people's groups are called the Ngappas. And uh, I think uh, in our old society, you know, there's a gap between the monastic society and the lay people's society, right? The monastic society is highly respected, and the lay people's society, you know, they sponsor the monastic uh, society. So it's the relationship is more uh, sponsorship and offering and then spiritually you know they protect the protect lay people right so that's the one part but what i'm generally thinking is in any case there's two different society there's a gap lay people's society and there's a monastic society there's a kind of a gap right so probably beside the uh, doing the donations and offerings and sponsorship, you know, sponsoring the pujas and, you know, sponsoring whatever. Maybe the lay people did not have very close connection to the monastic society. Actually in Tibetan, gompa, you know, the monastic monasteries are called the gompa. Gompa means like isolation. Right. The monasteries are very highly isolated places. So it means there's no much uh, access for the local people. And uh, so that's why I think the monastic uh, world is becoming kind of very highly kind of professional and isolated, you know, society from the normal society. But then when we talk to the Ngakpas, you know, the yogic tradition, or today I'm more saying it's more like lay people's tradition, right? So in the village, there are some people from their family, you know, from their great grandparents, and you know, somebody is nagpa or nagma. you know, somebody is doing tantric practices, this and that, there's a kind of family lineage. And then the village people didn't know that those family is a yogic family, Napa family, and they have a very close connection as they have a very easy access, right? And uh, so, which means actually, you know, this kind of Napa tradition was very crucial for general public, for the normal society, because those are the spiritual healers, right? Those are the, the ritual Um, performers and some of those are doctors too and some of those are astrologers and some of those are the weather controllers (laughs) right (laughs) so some of those are expert in creating amulets and they give amulets you know to protect their animals you know all the things actually when we say Nagpas, maybe people they think, oh, they are kind of like magicians and this and that. Actually, Nagpas, they had uh, you know huge service activities. It's not because they want to do these things, because they are asked, that is the request from the general public. Do you understand? So, you know, somebody gets sick. And you are not going to bring this sick patient to bring a very important philosophy teacher or very important, the Lama. This Lama has, you know, it's like a professor. It's a busy teaching and uh, whatever, you know, it's it's too busy. But then in the village, there's a Ngapa who's expert in these things, right? (laughs) It's very organically, okay, bring to the Ngapa, bring to the healer, This it's something... Something very uh, common and logic. So I think this is the reason, you know, I tried to think about uh, how the Nagpa culture is important in Tibetan society. And it was, you know, it had been important in Tibetan society. And uh, because they have so many functions, right? So it means they knew how to serve people in many different ways. And yet they stayed like normal people. You know, they are householders and marriage and fathers and sons and grandpas. And they know the normal, ordinary families issues too. So I think that part also played an important role in Swarikpa. So that's why Swarikpa says, you know, a chimjul or hobjul. You know, some of them you need to. Of course, if you study history, but you need a good teacher. If you learned everything from your teacher, that's that's the education lineage holder. But if you learned from your grandpa or grandparents or from your parents, that's a chimjul that goes in the family, right? And um, so, like a Yuto, he did like that, and many other important like even Marpa, you know, the great uh, uh, translator, he was a great yogi, and he wanted to transmit all his teachings and all his knowledge from his family. So later, unfortunately, his son passed away. He was unable to pass others, but he tried his best, right? And so like that, I think uh, that Ngapa culture was very important because that really kept uh, Swaripa, was a uh, medical knowledge for everyone otherwise sawaripa could have been becoming uh, medical knowledge only in the monasteries and in nunneries right and then for common patient to have access of them is not that easy so that's why i think this uh the Suarikpa was transmitted in the Ngakpa lineage. I, I think that was uh, that was very essential, historically. But today we know, today the most of doctors are lay people, you know, <laughs> now, now we are in the century of the lay people, uh, educated, we have chance to study, and uh, especially now the younger generation, most of the Suarikpa doctors are becoming female doctors. So now it's we are in a different time, different era. But I think still for us to remember this Ngakpa culture is important, which means, as you are saying, these Ngakpas are the tantric practitioners and they are experts for make, creating amulets and using the, some very specific medicinal substances and they, they know how to make a very specific rituals, right? How to make naga puja, how to make... A, Uh, puja for the sabdar the earth spirit how to pacify the earth spirit how to pacify the water spirit and how to deal with uh, mammals the female spirits and how to deal with uh, zen the fire spirits and how to deal with uh, za the planetary spirits right so when we talk about uh, uh, spirits or demonology they're lots of uh, invisible spirits in the nature, right? So we can't call them demons, right We can't call all humans are bad humans. right We also can't call all humans are good humans. I think spirits are exactly the same. The moment we call their demons, it means they are causing some troubles. But the moment we call them their local deities or gods, you know, goddesses, it means our interaction, our relationship is good, right? You call somebody a very good person, very nice person, this and that, you're talking about your relationship. Spirits are exactly the same thing. But then the really interesting thing is how the spirits are causing health issues to humans, right? One thing is very clear. There is something to do with environmental issues. So humans, if we disturb environmental, right, peace, like what we are doing with environment is, oh, humans, you know, we can control the nature. We can do whatever we want. And with this and that, that's a wrong way of thinking. We should humbly accept we are part of this great nature and we have to respect and we have to live friendly with the nature, right? And we need to reconnect with the nature. It's not about uh, controlling about the nature and, uh, and um, uh, how do you say, misusing the nature, right? If we humans, today we talk so much about uh, abusive activities, what we are doing toward the nature This is one of the most abusive action, what we can do to the nature, right? Sucking the gas and petrol and mining and uh, creating all the toxic substances, destroying the nature. It's a very powerful, abusive action, right? But still yet we are, oh yeah, yeah, something will do, something will happen and this and that so i think this kind of uh, how humans we treat nature and how we live in the nature and the spirits in the nature have a very close connection it has a very very close connection so that's why in a kind of very plain way plain way to explaining about the spirit it means doing the rituals respecting the spirits it means respecting the nature It's very simple. But then, of course, we can do more deeper level, another level to say, are there really exist spirits and those spirits are angry with humans and can they cause provocations and this and that? Okay, my personal belief, yes, they are spirits. They just don't have the human forms. They are living in the energy dimensions, energy worlds. But again, why they provocate us? It's a depending on a relationship. So that's why most of rituals, you know the interesting thing is I don't know if you know Tibetan rituals. we are always in inviting those spirits, right We invite them those spirits and we apologize them. We confess that we did something wrong and we destroyed their home, you know because cutting the trees and we we messed up their village or whatever and then we, confess, and then we apologize, and then we are offering the part of the nature, you know, whatever the flowers or the the other substances comes, this and that, and we try to pacify that, right? So ordinary people, they don't know how to do this, and they ask Ngakbas to do this. And actually some of those Ngakbas are experts, okay? It's really, really, really expert and to doing this kind of pujas and, you know, spiritual this, and they are having very good results, right? Not only the mental disease, you know, normally people think, okay, possession. Oh, possession is a spirit possession, psychosis, and then we need the puja. You can do that for that too. It's, it's possible some uh, psychosis, uh, you know, interfered by the spirits, this and that. And so a good yogi or Ngakpa can perform a good ritual, clarifies, purifies, then it's okay, right? But we also cannot say all kinds of psychosis are spirit-caused. It can be internally caused by ourselves. It's very complex, right, the the problems. But same way, also physical disease, autoimmune disease, and some of them, the great Ngakpas, they perform great rituals, once or twice the problem is resolved so you know that part i call it the spiritual aspect of the swarikba unfortunately today we you know many swarikba doctors maybe including myself we try to present swarikba as an integrative scientific and medical knowledge you know with this and then kind of the oh, the, the demon part or the, the the provocation part, spiritual part, the ritual part. No, no, I'm not interested, you know? So try to be, you know, this. But that's why uh, I was saying in earlier, it's important to learn the new culture, right? It's important to integrate in the new culture and in the new world and understand, accept, and keep your mind opened and you learn and you progress. And also, it is dangerous that you are, because integrating too much and you are pushing away the old systems, you know, oh, the spiritual part, the ritual parts are not important. The mantra healing part is not important. You know, oh, doctors, actually, we don't do the rituals, this and that, right? is not true and the uh, fourth tantra yutor says it's, it depends on the patient if patient needs a shamanic ritual you should perform a shamanic ritual if you don't know how to do it ask somebody to do it if they need um, prayers if they need uh, pujas fire puja peaceful puja rasful puja we should you know tell them to do it, or if we can do it, we can do for them too, right? So that's why I think, um, how do you say? It's important, you know, we should not lose our our root, our really the, the base of the root for the Soharipa. And especially now the younger generation, I know, you know, I studied in Lhasa, our younger students, are more like uh, modern style, not believing in spirits and there's, oh, it's, you know, I'm not superstitious or I'm atheist that that's okay. But in our culture, in our tradition, we have this aspect, but I think this aspect, it's an important aspect too, you know, we need to preserve it. And, um, yeah, we need to receive more education about this too.
0: Thank you. That's fascinating indeed. Well, this has been a really incredible, interview thank you very much and congratulations once again on the publication of foundations of so rigpa thank you sky press yeah great and i know you've got all kind of packages there an online course coming with it and ebooks and things like that so it's quite a launch that's, that's going on um, yeah as we finish i wondered if you have any closing thoughts or concluding comments about the book or about Swarikpa about anything we've discussed or anything related?
1: Yeah, conclusion is, uh, I, you know, you ask me what is the core of Swarikpa? I said the balance. And I just want to say in Swarikpa we talk about energy balance is important, but energy is the link, the bridge between mind and body. So we need to find a very good balance between mind and body. What does it mean? For spiritual people, please don't ignore your physical health. Have a good diet, rest well, and exercise well, sleep well, and then meditate well. So there are many spiritual people, they tendency to ignore the physical body part, to saying everything is mind and everything is spiritual, I think that's, uh, that's a dangerous idea. And uh, we cannot ignore our body. We have to take care of our body. And this is uh, a part, very important part of the spiritual journey, right? So that's why Buddhist or spiritual people, please don't ignore about your physical body. Take care of your body. You know, diet and lifestyles are very, very essential. And then the other people, you know, the materialistic people to saying, Oh, I'm not interested in the meditation and yoga and psychology, I don't need this in a meditation, I don't need this and that, which is also very extreme and dangerous way of thinking, you know, right? Because when we don't care about our toxic emotions, and sooner or later, the effect, the result will manifest in your body as a immune system, you know, autoimmune disease or as you know, diabetes and cancer and so on. And, uh, you know, even you don't believe in spiritual mental peace, you know, you are very kind of physical person. The peace of mind is very important because that is the root cause of happiness and good health so that's why we don't need to be an extreme person it's saying i'm extreme like a spiritual person or i'm extreme like a materialistic person you know end of the day we are humans you know we are the mixture we are the cocktail of the body and mind and the spirit and that's why to really find a good balance between this mind body spirit is very very essential i think that is the essence of (laughs) Swargpa. Thank you.
0: Dr. Nidhi Chanetsang, thank you very much. Thank you for listening to another Guru Viking podcast. For more interviews like these, as well as articles, videos, and guided meditations, visit www.guruviking.com.